Okay, shall we? Um, let, let's come back together. I'm gonna I'm gonna break into this group here. Uh, lady in the right in in the um in the red leggings we call them in England. Does that make sense? Well, just come come here quickly. Just just what's your name and just. I'm Angelita. Uh, shout out to Angelita, everyone. Can we welcome Angelita? Uh, Angelita, what, what, what questions came up in your group about why, why you're here? Um, just really about how to serve and love our city and how we can better share our faith and our love for Jesus with the people in our city around us. Wonderful. And what would you say in terms of the social challenges? What are the top kind of couple of social challenges where you live? Um, I think that some people feel that the Bible and God's word is not progressive enough for the times. And so I feel like um, trying to show them that God's word um, is relevant now is the challenge. Fantastic, Angelita. Thank you very much indeed. Okay, Sarah. we're going to come over this side. One of you, come, come, come. Come and tell me. What were you talking about in your group? Don't be shy. Come on, we're all family. What's your name? I'm Baylor. Baylor, now what, um, what did you, t- why are you here and what did you guys feel were kind of the top social challenges that you think you face? Yeah, so we were just discussing kind of being... Um, a minority in a city that feels um, like a lot of different people are coming together, which is a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing, place to learn. Um, But we were just talking about ways to approach that and um, to be welcoming while also, you know, what are the boundaries and the things that we want to hold on to and the things that we want to share with other people. Great. Fantastic. Thank you. Good to have you here. So, yeah, brilliant. So just... um Let's just call out some stuff. So we've heard a bit about how to welcome people, uh, um, some of those challenges. How do we, how is the Bible relevant to society? How is Christian thinking still relevant? If we get into nitty gritty issues, I I don't live in Los Angeles. So I could tell you in London, some of the issues we face around things like uh, uh, refugees or unemployment, um, educational failure, things like that. If you're talking about, what what are some of the, the actual social issues that are facing communities and people surrounding you in Los Angeles. Can you just shout some out quickly to us? Homelessness. Homelessness, yeah, sure, seen that. Drug use. Mental health. Mental health. Confusion among the children, what they're being taught. Yeah. What was that? Wokeism. Loneliness. Loneliness. That's That's a a huge one. Yeah, big one for us in the UK, isolation. Yeah, yeah. Financial. What would you say about financial? Financial, just with the housing and yeah. um, the... Uh, Unaffordability. Yeah, Participation. Community, allow, how do people fit in if they're caught in that kind of that, that, that poverty trap? Exactly. All right. Well, these are some of the is- kind of issues that we want to be thinking about and asking, what has the church got to say to these things? What, what, what are we... Is, is there anything we bring? Are they even relevant for us? Is it part of our mission? Um, and if so, how and in what way? So th- th- let's just kind of come back, try back at the end and, and think, you know, what we're talking about, how does it land in relation to these kind of issues, the, the issues, the social issues that are facing our cities at this time? Is, is, is it going to be any different because of the, the presence of Jesus through the life of the church? Fantastic. So how we're going to do it is um, I've offered to interview Tom because Tom is so modest, we won't get anything out of him unless I prize it out of him. <laughs> so this is how it's going to work. Um, so Tom, um, Tom, you've done quite a few things in this sector in your life. But let's go back to the beginning. Did you always have a vision for social transformation? Uh, no, no, I didn't, actually, for a couple of reasons. First reason was because um, I- I'm not like you all growing up. I wasn't ambitious or aspirational. <laughs> I just love 
the ocean that's maybe a bit like you uh <laughs> i i love i love sailing i love skiing and i didn't really have any sort of what i would call um sort of vision or focus beyond that in fact so much so my mum was so worried about me um because uh, i never did any work at school and she'd say to me eventually tom you've got to work because if you don't you're going to end up like your uncle rob uncle rob never did any work and then he failed all his exams and now he really really regrets it and so don't be like uncle rob uncle rob is a wonderful man by the way but the thing <laughs> the thing about uncle rob though is that he became a church leader so i kind of thought to myself well if, if everything goes wrong um <laughs> I could at least become a, a church leader. But, but then I thought to myself, but why on earth would you want to do that? I can't think of anything you'd like to do less. Anyway, I have become a church leader, so I'll let you um, work out. Um, what happened in my life and I have to just say Tom has got so many degrees. I think that the, the, the late bloomer is definitely him. Um, uh, so, so partly now I didn't have a, a lot of vision, um, but also the church that I did grow up in our family, I grew up in a wonderful Christian home, um, a, brilliant, a, lo a wonderful church, actually as a community, you, you, I've never seen anything better. But for all that, we just never ever talked about the overflow and impact of the life of Jesus on the social life and the wider society around us. It just wasn't in the conversation um, of us growing up in the church. And there were probably two or three issues that exercised us. And they, they were typically, they're really important issues, typically around sort of medical ethics type areas. And we get very exercised by that and every now and then we'll be asked to sort of sign a petition. But I can remember thinking as a child, is that all? Oh, is it like, there's, we'd never talk about anything and there's two or three issues that we, we get very exercised by. and. Um, has the church got nothing more to say to the formation of society than that? And then, Sarah, as you'll know, we we uh, met in our early 20s. You, we, you we met at Focus in yes, the UK. Come on. Did. So you never know what might happen here. You never know. <laughs> um, and we got married and then we went to South Africa. And it was a really interesting time because it was in the mid 90s and Nelson Mandela had just been elected as president and a total hero um, to us because we went to that country actually Sarah was born there but I'd never been there beforehand and as you'll know I think everyone was expecting South Africa to collapse into a civil war a bloody civil war and there was this amazing man actually he was a Christian uh, he, we heard him he came to our church and he talked about how the church um, was the place in which um, hope was given to him and values emerged for him, which is itself interesting, um, talking about the impact on society. But he modelled, as, as you know, this an extraordinary generosity and grace to bring people together where um, otherwise there would have been um, bloodshed. And what we saw in that context was the church really, really engaging in all sorts of issues, like constitution was being written, um, uh, Desmond Tutu, this amazing archbishop, created what's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And every day on television are these powerful stories of people talking about the pain that they'd endured, but in a, in a healing way that it wasn't just about kind of punishment and throwing the key away. It was about bringing people together. And the church was giving a lead uh, into the renewal of society. And also our own, we met people in the church and they were doing things like there's a guy called Yahan, and Yahan was an actuary. I had no idea what an actuary was, but um, 
But he was a professional and he was deliberately creating more jobs for people in what they call the townships, the slum areas, to come in and find work. That was part of what he was doing. We met people like Frank, who was helping people build their own homes at the weekends. So they, they felt a sweat equity, in it, but they were creating real homes, not just kind of tin shacks. Um, we met Kate, who was uh, created a Medicare clinic and was, was um, helping people dying of HIV and uh, people adopting orphans. And we just suddenly saw this movement of um, social imagination and engagement. And what really struck me was the people who were doing it, because I would have thought, oh, that's all hard work. And um, in, in England, we leave it all to the government. Um, and I, what, what, what I kind of thought was, this is actually invigorating people. It's enhancing their lives. Yeah. But drawing together with their neighbours, they feel richer um, in what they're doing. And so I think that's kind of where it started. And when we came back to London, we just thought if there's any way that we could play a little part in that kind of renewal in our own nation, we'd be so so thrilled. So tell us, um, so Tom, you were a lawyer. You then yeah. went to South Africa, had this life-changing experience, grasping kind of the impact that church could have in communities. What then happened when you got back to London? Well, we, just through various routes, I ended up getting involved in... in um, a movement which was trying to speak to um, to the church, to politicians, to the media about the role of the church in society and uh, 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 trying to reignite imagination for the overflow of good that comes from churches. So we started something called Faith Works and um, told a little. St we went around the country and told stories about different things that churches were doing. And through that, I got involved in politics. I was a founder of a think tank, I think you use that language here, um, which actually, uh, only after I left, became, um, well, it's voted two or three times, the most, um, most influential think tank um, in the country. And uh, I, I, we were involved in setting up a business together, trying to think about using business for good. Um, we've been involved in setting up different charities. Joe Rice I mentioned the other day with Sergo, which we've been involved in. Um, and I've been particularly interested in all of this about like what is the the convening power of the church in this in communities. And um, more recently, we started something called Love Your Neighbour, which is now a national alliance of churches all around the country, over a thousand churches and other partners taking part to 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 be a centre of um, renewal in our nation. So, Love Your Neighbour. Just let's dive in a little bit more about that. So, like here, a global pandemic hits London. And we're in complete lockdown. And, you know, we couldn't even buy loo roll, could we? We couldn't get food in the shops for ourselves. And um, I recall Nikki Gumbel, who was our boss, uh, calling Tom. And Tom heads up the social transformation at HDB. And um, I recall him saying to us, you know, in the early church, it was the Christians who ran towards the need. They were the ones that went towards the plague. They were the ones, you know, the pagans went up to their lovely villas up in Rome, up in the hills. And it was the Christians who served. And, and look now, Roman Empire has gone. Christianity has exploded around the world. And, and he was like that charge, wasn't he, to you of, Tom, you've got to run towards the need, head up a, a campaign. What are we going to do for, um, for our church during this pandemic? And w what, what stirred within you at that time? What was the vision? Yeah, well, I think originally he was just saying to us, let's do it locally in our context. It was, a, it was never planned to become what it did become. Um, and we were just responding, like many churches, to 
the needs around us. And so we just try to make sure that when we went into lockdown, people had friends that would phone them, check in on them. We wanted to make sure that people who need medicines who couldn't get them, I think we ended up working with over 50 pharmacists to deliver medicines, not just the congregation, but to uh, uh, all people, particularly the poor who didn't have access to them. Um, we were asked by a local hospital, which is one of the biggest hospitals in London, um, all their team were working non-stop on the wards and they just couldn't get any food. And even if they had had time um, to get off, all, all the shops were closed. And so we partnered with local schools because, of course, the schools had closed down and used their um, um, refectories, canteens, to create great food. And get, we delivered 13,000 meals to doctors and nurses on the NHS wards, for example. But... Uh, um, a key issue was about food because I don't know what it's like here, but um, we'd never had it beforehand. But our our shelves were bare, so you couldn't even get food for your own family, and and so we wanted to help others who just they didn't even have that resource. And it felt like it took a long time, but it was only probably a few days. But but we just couldn't find anyone who could help us access food for vulnerable people. And eventually, we found. Um, one company that said they would help us to do that and so we did a quick whip round uh, we raised £10,000 and we then had the question of well, how much that are we going to spend now like, are we going to eat this out because we thought lockdown might last for five or six weeks or something so, I like, remember you. sitting in the kitchen yeah. with you and Tom was like do you know we could eke it out over maybe do you think it'd be six weeks this is going to last for we could do it you know week by week and, and I remember you eventually saying do you know what Blow it, Sarah. We just knew there was a need. And it's like, come on, we're going to buy, we're going to spend all the money, buy all the food, and we're going to work out how to get it out. So we did that. We got an order in, and it was due to arrive on the Thursday. I remember this. So it was the Thursday, the first week of lockdown. And um, that morning, we got a phone call from uh, one of the poorest parts of London, uh, in North Kensington, where we've got uh, one of our church sites is at. And they said the local food bank has just closed down. We've got 75 families, refugees, asylum seekers, with no other way of getting food for them and their families. Is there anything we can do? I honestly don't think they thought that there was. But we were able to say, well, would you believe we've got £10,000 worth of food arriving in two hours' time? Um, so um, we, we could bring some of that down to you. And what, what happened was it helped us to see a model. So... Our church, HGB, is not exactly in the poorest part of London. If you know London, um, our local kind of uh, food shop is called Harrods. Um, and um, we do actually have a lot of homelessness, like you were saying, and things like that around us. So there are needs. And of course, there were isolated older people and so forth. But, but what, what we also realised was that through this um, a a coincidence, accident, um, that one thing we could do, we had the ability to get support in at scale food hygiene products and so forth and then we could get them out to some of the uh, most challenged areas there are over 40,000 churches in the UK um, now we're often called a nation of pubs um, and there, there are actually more churches than there are pubs and since there's a pub on every street corner that means there must be at least a church on every street corner in every project um, in every area and um, if we could help get what they couldn't do is access food but they had the relationships so if we could get food to them then they knew the people they knew people who knew the need around them and they could get them out and to cut a long story short um, when when we got going on this we just got approached like, overnight by lots of other churches in other parts of the country saying we want to do something similar can you help us and so within 10 days of um, lockdown having started we had 10 different hubs like this um, in different cities around and the country and and then Nicky did come back to us and he said 
Uh, because we were suddenly getting national businesses coming and saying, can we use you to get logistics supply out to people? We had the government. I'd always been trying to partner with the government because I felt that they distrust the church and we wanted to show them that the church is alive and trustworthy. And... Um, and they, they, they were starting to give us funding. And Nikki said to us, this is too big just for us and our network. Um, and actually, the need is so great at the moment um, that we can't make a difference. But if all the church came together, then we could make a massive difference in this country. And so he helped pull together. And we had every denomination that you can imagine taking part in it. We had um, Church of England and Catholics and we um, uh, Pentecostals and non-denominational churches. We had the Coptic Orthodox Church, even the <laughs> Salvation Army were here. Thank God for the Salvation Army. Uh, they generously, because they didn't need us, but to be part of this church joining together to influence our nation. It, it, it was an amazing um, uh, c coming together of partners. And you know, Nikki said to us at that time, because there was a debate in the country about who they were going to lock down, and the churches were put on the same list as tennis clubs and, you know, I don't know, croaky clubs, if you know what croaky is. And, and it's like, i.e., we don't need them, um, so let's lock them down. And, and yet, we didn't want people... To, Nikki said it's going to be like the Second World War. People are going to look back and say, what do people do? We don't want them to say the church did nothing because it just tells a story that the, the, the church is irrelevant and Jesus is irrelevant, and the church, but the church is alive because Jesus is alive. It's the center of love and outflowing grace. And he said, we, 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 we want to be able to show that. So I could keep going on, but I, I mean, I'll just say, I'll say one more thing because, again, this might be different in your context. I just don't know. Um, but uh, we are, you know, we're English. And uh, so we're, we're, we don't like to, we're sort of, we're very tight about things. And worse than that, we're Anglican Church of England. So, so um, Double whammy. So a lot of our church, like, oh, we, you know, we, they were actually doing things that just didn't want to talk about it. And they didn't want to let people know. And because, and so didn't Jesus say, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? You know, we keep this stuff private. And there was an amazing leader, one of the biggest national leaders, um, a, man, a wonderful man called Pastor Agu. And he said to us, you know, yes, Jesus did say that. But he also said in the Sermon on the Mount, like pretty key teaching, he said, don't hide your light under a bushel, but let your light shine that people might see. This is really interesting. How do you let your light shine? That people might see your good deeds and glorify, not you. It's not about your glory. It's about this is a sign towards, points towards the glory of of your father in heaven and i think we felt the challenge you know what we we, we we this is important that we let our light shine this is not bragging this is a manifestation of the beauty of the gospel of god's love and so that's where we got going with love your neighbor and you know it felt like a really move of the spirit yeah. i don't think we've seen in our nation such a move of unity probably other than alpha where every denomination has got on board saying we're going to call it love your neighbor we're going to be a singular voice to the media to the government i remember we saw the spectator which is one of our magazines said um that the headline was um church is absent you know, where is the leadership of the church? And we were like, oh my goodness, since day one, the church has been on the forefront. The church has been mobilizing volunteers up and down the nation, and it just looks invisible. Mm -hmm. So it was incredible, I think, I think um, just seeing that the speed at which the spirit moved. But Tom, just tell just us. Just give one example. There was a, a church, one of our new church plants in a, in a city called Preston. It's a really um, challenged city in the north of England. 
and um, they'd only recently planted it was COVID, and so they 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 tr um, transferred their whole um, church into this like hub with food and resources, and um, nobody had ever heard of them beforehand, and. Um, they end up having quite an influence. They became a, 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 the core partner for the for the local government and the community. And they 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 told just this is one story. They said yesterday um, I called John. Just call him John, a 49 year old man with severe disabilities who hadn't left his home in five years. Um, he'd always had food supplied to him, but the the, the food um, chain broke down. He had severe disabilities. He couldn't get out. Um, uh, he was referred to us by the police. With no family or friends to help him, he relies on weekly food deliveries. When the lockdown started, demand for online deliveries meant that he couldn't order food. Once all his food was used up, he relied on water and sucking on used tea bags. Every time he ran a number for help, he was given a number of someone else to call. And in the end, desperate, he called the police and they called the church. Due to his very specific dietary requirements, we didn't know if we could help, but of course we can help. As I chatted on the phone and wandered the shelves of our newly set up distribution hub and centre, I smiled to myself. Every single item he asked for, no matter how random, we had something in our church. The only thing he didn't mention was fresh milk. Would you like me to get you four pints of milk? I asked. He began to cry. I thought I'd been forgotten and that I was going to die alone. I would love some milk. Oh, great story, great story. Oh, that's the nature of God, isn't it? Hearing and, every cry. And actually what happened through that, um, you know, it's all about those individuals, but the government ended up working with us and we end up in a nine and a half million, so from a complete startup, within four months, we're in a nine and a half million pound scheme with the government as a central provider of um, resource to people all over the nation. And um, we're still working with the government now on a smaller scale. And they said to us they couldn't believe the impact that churches were having in their community. Yeah. And I know that uh, Vintage Santa Monica did love your neighbor. We had a, we had a video that came back to That's us. Right. And we were like, it's gone global. <laughs> really exciting. Um, Tom, is social transformation all about crisis relief? Or is there something more? I think, I think um, it, it must include crisis relief turning. Um, but I think it is more than that. And in the UK. So when I grew up, like I was saying, the kind of church that I was in never thought about engaging in these challenges at all. It just wasn't our task. Um, that's changed in a, in a wonderful way. Um, and now it'd be very hard to find a church that isn't somehow wanting to be socially engaged. And the, the momentum for that, or the heart for that, is about compassion and love. And that that is the right um, heart and, and center. And so whether it's traffic women or you know homelessness whatever it is um but actually I, I think the thing we've got to keep working on in our country is that that's as far as it goes so it's like we get on with the main what's been historically been seen as the mainstream activities of the church you know teaching evangelism all these vital things and then it's like there's this this little bit of social transformation on the side somewhere but the key is the word transformation um, because the gospel is a gospel of transformation. It doesn't leave lives unchanged. It doesn't leave the world unchanged. And and so one of the things that we're hoping to do is, is, is and we are what we are doing, is we're helping churches move beyond crisis care, keeping in crisis care, but then helping people get out of crisis by tackling the underlying causes and helping them to enter into their full God-given um, humanity in every part of their lives, spiritually, but also practically, 
and um, uh, um, using the gifts that, that God has given to them. And I think, as you'll know, um, for us, the inspiration for this has come from a passage in the Bible called Isaiah 58. And I just think it's still so relevant to us. And I, I, I get the sense that things aren't that different in um, LA to, to London, which is that the church is seen to be a decaying and declining and as you said earlier, irrelevant force in the world. And Isaiah 58 is written at a time when Israel has come back. We think they've come back out of exile. So they went into exile, they wept, they lamented God. We, we, we longed to come back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city where God's presence dwelt. And it was meant to be a light to the nations, to show them how to live well, to inspire, to provoke the nations to jealousy. And so they thought kind of when they come back after exile that suddenly the, this, this, this vision would come to being again. But actually what they found was they came back and they were just still living amongst the rubbles. They were just, as it were, kind of sidelined, irrelevant, small community. And so they're crying out to God and they're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't we seeing your presence and your power and your life. And we're doing the things you've told us to do. We're fasting. We're wearing sackcloth and ashes. We're, we're going through all the religious rites that you've told us to do. And we're not seeing your presence. We're not seeing your life, your vitality. And I, I think, don't you think that we feel a little bit of that in our nations at this time? Like, God, where are you? It feels like everything is going the wrong way. But you're the hope. You're yeah. the power. And God's response to them is this. He said, is that the kind of fast I've called you to? Is that the only kind of fast that I've called you to? Haven't I also called you to this? this isn't this the fast that's acceptable to the Lord? To break the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to, to visit the prisoner. It says not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, but to spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry. And God says this, when you do that, then you will see my light rise upon you. My light will be like a rear guard that hovers over you. And um, he says these words, you will be called, um, uh, your people will be called, your people will uh, re rebuild the ancient foundations. They will rebuild uh, the, the, the ruins. You will um, repair broken walls and restore streets with dwellings. And I think this is a vision for complete renewal, not just renewal of um, people's lives, but renewals of the heart, of culture, of society, of cities. And I, God has called us to be the people, his hands and his feet, to release that kind of life and blessing into our world. So our gospel uh, has to have, it cannot not have a social dimension to it. It, it, it has to touch people's lives individually, but it has to touch the structures of our cities because that's what God's about. And that's, we, we can't witness to him if we don't hold that all together. And so well, that's a long way of saying, I think, yes, we, compassion, we've got to reach out. It starts by reaching out to people in crisis, but we just can't leave them there. You know, give someone a, a meal and say we've done our job. And, and a or then worse, create dependency. We've got, we we want to see um, 
transformation. So you talk about the three C's I've heard you yeah. talk about before. You talk about crisis. Yeah. You talk about getting to the underlying cause. Yeah. You don't want the same people in your homeless shelter. We've got 150 men that we see every week. We don't want the same 150 men to still be there next year, God yeah. willing. Yeah. But then you talk about care, that wraparound care. And one of the areas I've seen you develop is one around employability. Now, why that, Tom? Why, of all the things, have yeah. you done a deep dive into that? Yeah. Um, because I think that when we were starting to think, you know, even 20 years ago about not just crisis, but transformation, um, helping, particularly um, focusing in that case on um, young people who were, we all wear hoodies in California, even I'm wearing one, but um, <laughs> in London, it's a bit different, but we had young, we called them, we called, they got known as hoodies, because there were these young people that were disengaged, their eyes were down, um, they were perhaps often, you know, we were having a few trou troubles in our church car park with people breaking in and petty crime and so forth. And we didn't know like how to engage with them. We didn't have any expertise in youth work. And, and the, uh, but the vision was, God, if you're calling us towards transformation, then there must be some overflow in the life um, that we can imagine a different possibility for these young people. And so we thought, like, as, a, as an act of almost naive faith, but, but faith, it was filled with a sense of the Spirit of God in it. We thought, we're going to dare to believe that we engage with these people, we can help them to change the trajectory of their lives. And so we started a program called Spear. It's focused on unemployed um, young people between the ages 16 and 24 from disadvantaged backgrounds. Typically, we, they, they come on, we measure them for um, the social deprivation, so they may have educational failure, they may have been involved in crime, um, they might be involved in gangs, uh, what, whatever it is. And um, um, all I can say is over the last 20 years, uh, we've worked now with 9,000 young people, it's grown around the country, um, over over 75% of those every single year, since we started with our first group of eight, um, who've completed the program, and over 80% complete the program. Over 75% of them have gone into work, further work or training uh, from being completely unemployed, and have, um, uh, and they're still there a year later, which for us is a mark of transformation uh, and real change. And as Joe said, actually, we've... Um, just been researched by the government and they can find no organization that can demonstrate that kind of impact anywhere else in the country. Um, in fact, we do different um, qualifications to you, but the qualifications we do at school between six, there's one at 16 year old and there's one at 18 year old, which is the main outcome. They, they demonstrated that if you are 18 and unemployed, uh, and you have no educational qualifications, but you have done um, SPEAR, you are more likely to be in work in three months' time than if you are unemployed, but you've come out of school with um, A-levels, which are advanced qualification. That's the amount of difference it's having. And so um, I, I, what, does what does employment do? It, it, dem it, it gives people not just an income, which means that they, they're not they're not stuck in crisis, but it gives them confidence to belong and to re-participate in society. It's going to, um, it's going to enhance, the, it's going to change the cycle so their children are going to grow up in work rather than being out of work. And I just think it's an example of about how, the tra how, how God can truly, truly transform lives. And what I love about um, Sphere, I'm not involved in Sphere, but I've watched it grow over the years, is that um, 
you know, I know when uh, when you've gone for funding in the past, you know, to try and support these centres around the country, you know, big banks have said, we love what you do, but just drop the Christian side and then we could maybe fund you. And you've really held to that line of, you know, all your employees are Christian, all the coaches. I mean, they could be earning three times as much somewhere else, but they are committed to these young people. And, um, and now full circles come round. I think you had another funding meeting when they said quite the opposite. Yeah, I think... Um we 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 one of our turned out to be one of our biggest backers. They didn't want to back us because we were Christian. They they essentially said they thought they'd give us time to create a business plan, and then we would sort of evolve be away from the church. And uh, when we came back with our business plan, it was clear that we were doubling down on the church. Um, they said to us, "Oh dear, this is a problem." Because if we're honest, we put our head in the sand. We thought that um, we love everything you're doing, but we think we're socially progressive. And quite honestly, we, if we're honest, we think the church is socially regressive. And like, why would we want to work with, we don't like the church. Um, 15 years later, they came back to us and we did another round of funding with them. And they said to us, um, well, before that actually, first of all, I remember being in the HQ of Deloitte Consultants with them and chatting their senior leadership team. And they said, we've got to be honest with you. Um, you, you were the first Christian project we backed. We now work with a couple of others. Um, and I am, um, she said she was, a, I think uh, she described herself as a, a Jewish atheist. And she said, but I've got to ask my, myself this question. Why is it the most effective programs that we're seeing are those that are coming out of the church? Mm. And then our, our manager started saying to us, aren't you Christians? Why don't you pray in meetings <laughs> with us? And so she hasn't come to faith, but we pray. And she goes, oh, that's so beautiful. I just love it. <laughs> and... Um, and, uh, and, and last time we went for funding, and we're now talking about millions of pounds of funding, um, they said to us, please don't forget to put at the centre of your business plan that it's about the church. Because um, in the old days, they said, you don't want to work with the church because you won't get any good employees, you won't do X and Y and Z, but you've got the best employees. You've got the, you can go into areas and start where nobody else has had success going and starting because you've got relationships there. And they said, um, the centre, your USP is it comes from the church. So... And, and I'll just give you one more example, because I want to say, yes, it's from the church, but it's not. we, we don't want to live in a silo of the church, because there's an overflow. The Bible, um, Jesus describes us as yeast, um, and I, I'm not very scientific, but I, I don't know what else yeast is useful for, but in my little mindset, yeast on its own isn't very useful. It's only useful when it interacts with something else, when it interacts with the dough which is the larger part of the world around us. But when the yeast interacts with the dough, it creates something totally new, something different. It creates beautiful bread. And our job is to influence and to provoke and to catalyze maybe those who haven't yet come to a full understanding of it. Maybe they're on a journey, but you know what? But it does allow them to come onto a journey. It does provoke questions for them about actually maybe the church isn't quite what I thought it was. And it releases God's blessing for those who are most uh, ostracized and excluded on the outside because it's changing the world. And that's part of God's providence and his grace to work through us. So there's one um, business in London, which is a wealth management um, business. It's been set up by a guy who's not a Christian. He had previously set up one of the most successful, well-known um, 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 uh, wealth management brands in the country. He was coming back doing his new one. Um, it's still it's not big yet. It's about 90 staff. But he worked with us because he and he's given 10% of his workplace to young people from disadvantaged backgrounds who come through the SPEAR program. And he genuinely believes that's an asset to him in a business where his only competitive advantage is the quality of his staff. Highly competitive. Uh, for him, 
the fact that he's got these young people and it brings a life and energy to the whole team, which is, um, it takes him a bit longer to get them going, but what he's found is untapped talent that he can release that is making a difference in that community. So Brilliant, Tom. So we've talked a bit about the role of social transformation within church. We've talked a bit about whether it's a charitable arm of a church or projects, but there's more. Tell us about how those who are in business, uh, the workplace, Monday to Friday, linking with the whole social transformation vision, or do they? Um, well, I think it, it, this is something I, I think, again, is really important if we're thinking about transformation on the big picture, um, is that if you think about it, the, the, what we call the charitable work, the non-profit work, um, it's essentially trying to redress the dysfunctions in our world and our system to help those who've fallen out um, somehow to get back in. But if we're only dealing with that, then we're just going to face an ever greater scale of problem. Um, but if we could actually deal with the system itself, the world in which we live, and make that more beautiful and more good and more healthy, then hopefully less people are going to drop out. People will still drop out. And Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. But actually, it might be the overall, if we can get the arms of, as it were, non-profit and charity love working really, really well, but at the same time, the arms of the economy and the, the broader culture and business and politics and media and all these other areas, then actually we can really see a transformation um, in, in our culture again. And the truth is that in our country, again, I'm sure it'll be similar, um, when we're talking in our nation about charity, we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds um, at work. But when you're talking about business, you're talking about thousands of billions of pounds at work. You know, we're, we're dealing with a, a relatively small staff teams. Um, but in our congregation, we've got 8,000 people, most of whom are spending their life somewhere in the working world, making a difference to it. And so, and that is their frontline ministry. And so what we've started at HDB um, comparatively recently, we've been working for a while with Entrepreneurs and Business Network, a stage and screen network, and we've kind of, we've built that out uh, into a new initiative called Workplaced, with a D on the end, Workplaced. Uh, because what we're, what we're wanting to say is, you know, God is involved to our congregation in every detail of our lives, nothing is an accident with God. The families he's placed us in, the neighborhoods that we live in, and the workplace that we go to on a Monday or whenever it is, um, is not an accident. God, in his greatness, uh, in his involvement, the detail of our lives, he's placed us into our work. And our job as the church, as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, is not just to get all the congregation uh, to come and get behind our little project centrally, Although there is a space for a bit of that and, um, you know, things like Alpha and so forth are, you know, it's a brilliant opportunity to engage in the communal church life. But, but it's not just that. It's that it, even more. It's about our job, it says, um, is to equip the saints for the ministry that God's sending you out to in your places of work. And the truth is, if you, if you let's take hospitals, we've probably got people working in every hospital in London in our church and it's not just our church there are all other churches um the schools as well as the businesses and you know um this is we're in the center of uh, the media world here uh, but you know we've got people who are actors and producers and um radio producers and whatever in london too and what does god want to do through you in those workplaces 
how does he want to use you? Because he's the God of transformation and all possibility. And he doesn't just want, I don't think, us to sit there to kind of while away our time and maybe make some money to give the church so we can eventually on a Sunday come into the church and do do what really matters. No, he's placed us there to be his stewards um, in, in, in the world. And so I think we have set work placed. We've got um, 14 sector groups happening. Um, we started out in every different area from all the ones I've mentioned. Um, on Monday, we had our, our entrepreneurs. We had a pitching event, um, three different businesses, um, uh, one of which was uh, uh, Ben's not here, second hand car dealers. They've <laughs> not got a great reputation in London. So it's about tr uh, trying to do it with trust and integrity. Um, one of them was about a wealth management business that's giving direct access to people who would never normally have access into kind of high quality investment um, products. Um, and the third one, if I can remember it, was about housing, actually. It was about helping people who could get onto the housing wheel to find um, a sustainable way to begin to build our equity onto the housing because we had top investors who were there. Uh, we didn't have any money, but we did manage to give them advice. And it was incredible seeing this community, over 100 people coming together and supporting each other. Wow, you do this kind of thing. Imagine the difference that we could make in your area and what I, I say to them I mean what we're trying to do through workplace is we are trying to yes encourage them ignite a vision we wanted to say to them we honor you as church, we honor the ministry that what you are doing matters and it counts and we're behind you and we're praying for you we want to discover a vision together of what that could look like and to support and encourage each other release each other on that on that journey but for me what I'm most interested in I always say this to me is like what collaborations are going to come out of this that wouldn't otherwise have happened. I was really excited um, because we only started six months ago that uh, um, two people, uh, there's a trendy new theatre in London um, called the Marylebone Theatre. And on the first workplace event we ever did, that we had the CEO of that theatre, the creative director, and he met another um, producer, director, and uh, five months later they put on the first play um, uh, that that um, they worked on together and I was going on our tube line like the metro whatever you call it and I saw these posters for this new production and um, being advertised and I thought yeah collaborate and that and that collaboration is all about pressing questions of beauty and what is good and noble um, in the world and in, in, in a pressing gritty um, challenging situation so um, uh, collaboration I think I think we've got the opportunity through our businesses to, to also make a massive difference and Tom, I know that you sometimes talk about putting good back into good and service back into service. What what would you say to anybody here who's um, nine to five in the business arena um, and just an approach to to you know to how you are 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 looking at your work, not just purely as a as you say a cash cow or looking forward to the holidays to recover from work, but how can we reposition work yeah. for, for us here? Yeah, I think that if, if you're thinking about it from a Christian viewpoint, so on, on as well as these sector groups, we have central events and we've explored things together, whatever sector you're in, like what is a theology of work or um, how ambitious should we be? You know, is ambition a friend or a foe? What, how do we succeed and fail well? Um, questions like that. And on, on Sunday night last week, we did one on um, building flourishing relationships at work. And we had the head of one of the biggest investment banks um, in, in the country speaking there. He's a member of our congregation. And he has directly, um, he was telling us about how he has directly tried to take Christian teaching 
on love into the investment banking world. And we were asking him, saying, well, isn't the investment banking culture kind of known for being quite ruthless um, and brutal? And that's the world he's grown up in. And of course it is. But what they're discovering is, especially as the culture is shifting, that's just not working for people anymore. And people are longing to be authentic. They, they want to know that if something goes wrong, they're not going to be completely dropped because then they're, they're creating artificial relationships. So they're creating a, a, a safe space in which to fail. And he's using Christian concepts on love specifically. And what was really interesting is that um, his CEO, the overarching bank, he's telling us, called him and said, like, what are you doing? Because he's running these big kind of meetings that anyone can come to. And he said, he said, um, normally, we never have more than 18% of our um, employees engaging, and you've got 88% of your employees, like thousands of people coming along and engaging in this area. And it comes from Christian thinking. So he's wanting to say love is relevant. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be thought through. Yes, we've got tough decisions to make, but we've got to think about people and loving them. And I think love, it, it, it sounds at first glance such an inappropriate word for the workplace, <laughs> but actually... We've got to think about what does love look like? Love for God, for what is right, and love for our neighbor, which is Jesus teaches the um, heart of what we're called to in this world. And I think there are at least five ways that we can think about that in business. One, one is about what we're producing. How is it truly loving for our world, for our consumers and customers? And um, it was Michael Porter, the professor at Harvard University, who talked about we've got to put the good back into our goods and the service into our services. And I would say the values into our value. And aren't they interesting words? Like, where did the word goods and services ever come from? But it's like, they, let, let's make them truly good for the world. And where they're harmful, let's reimagine. We've got that creative possibility um, through what we produce, our goods and services. I think... Um, we can obviously think about it in terms of our impact on creation care and the world that God's given us to steward. How is what we're doing? How can we be imaginative? We've got this incredible opportunity uh, as people made an image of God, uh, called, as um, Gare was saying from here yesterday, to be vice regents, to exercise wisdom, authority, imagination, inspiration, inspired by the Holy Spirit. How can we care more for the created world? We can do it like this um, investment banker was saying, by thinking about how are we caring for those in who work around us and whether we're at the bottom of the food chain or the top we can influence people's lives and actually for many of us you, you know you can kind of think of your workplace as like your own mini congregation how can you love them how can you prosper them how can you bless them how can you enhance them uh, in the way they interact um with them and another area is around how we share the fruits of what um is growing through our productivity and this sense that through love i you know we can challenge the status quo, which just says that, you know, I just keep what I've got for myself. Uh, because we're called to, to be able to share that and often say, you know, at the end of the day, what, what is going to make us feel richer at the end of our lives, for those of us who've got this opportunity, um, doesn't include me, um, uh, to end up with extra zeros on my bank account? Or to have, to have provided hundreds of people with homes for them and their families that they would never otherwise have had. That is so much more enriching. And that, that is how the church has operated down through the years. Many of the great philanthropists of the 18th, 19th century, that's what they did. And I think the church has got an opportunity to... So these are all ways in which we can think. And, and, and then there's business partnerships, supply chains, using our resources to raise up others who are doing good. And what we found in London is that the people who are doing this, if you look underneath the surface, they often have Christian heritage and they've perhaps become de-churched. 
And it's like, they're the ones who are giving a lead to it. But actually, the church, I think itself, could even more be giving a lead to it. And there are networks in different communities. So, for example, if you take the Jewish community, um, they're very good at working together. And for some reason in London, the Christian community, what we, we, we often thought about work as a place for evangelism. That's great. That's really important. Or we might think about work as how we can be, be faithful followers of Jesus in terms of discipleship issues. How do we, how do we pray in the pressure? How do we remain uh, integrity? Those are also great questions. But how about being a force that comes together to reimagine the output, the nature, the character, the caliber of work as a gift from God to be um, stewarding a beautiful world, his world, his creation. That is a great place to land. I'm aware, aware we've got one minute left. Um, Tom, thank you so much. I think you've given us a lot of food for thought. Um, we hope it's just touched on some areas that God might be stirring in your life, but we don't want you to go from here without us having the opportunity to pray. So would you indulge us? Should we stand? Can I just say uh, before that, I'd just love to just to, um, just, just to say one more thing, um, which is that because you were talking about the Holy Spirit last night and... Um, you might, we might think to ourselves, well, how can we do this? Like, how can we have an influence, particularly when we might feel like actually we're, the tide is running away from us? And um, in, in South Africa, I've only ever had one what I call open-eyed vision, um, where I just saw like almost visually in real time in front of me something. And I saw this river which was running, the tide was, was ebbing at, at full flow on it. And in the middle of it uh, was this group of people and they were trying to push up this big flagpole, like a big standard pole. And don't ask me how, but just in the moment, I immediately I understood what was going on here. Um, it was that the, the river represented the culture and um, and it was it, its direction was flowing out fast. And uh, the standard pole, the big flagpole, it represented the church. It represented the Christian faith. It had been there for centuries and it was like the force of the tide ebbing had knocked the thing over and what was happening was all these people these christians were trying to push it back up again because we wanted that flagpole to, to to shine for jesus but actually it was clear in the picture it was totally hopeless sorry to depress you it was completely like you couldn't push it up against the force of the tide and all it was doing was creating conflict with the culture around us and i can remember saying to god oh lord how depressing is that it is that all there is and but instantly i felt him take my eyes to the side of the river and what i started to see on the side of the river was these beautiful buildings and cities starting to emerge and actually as people were flowing out on the tide it's like they saw this beautiful um, activity on the side of the river and they're like, what is that? I want to come and see it. And I felt God say to me, and I feel it strongly now as I did 25 years ago, the answer for us in our culture uh, is not just to stand and fight against everything. It is to build things of beauty on the side of our culture that are so stunning that people are going to look and say, what is that? I want to come and find out more. I want to come and see more. And do you know, down through history, every time there's been a great move of God, it has ended up in the renewal of society did yeah. you know that at times which have been way more depressing than ours i haven't got time to go through the story of georgian britain um when when it was more dissolute and degenerate and the church was in an even worse state than we are at the moment and god birthed something through through john wesley and george whitfield 
and uh, it ch- uh, their hearts were strangely warmed, but it didn't stop with people coming to faith. The next generation picked up on that move and we had the, the Wilberforces and the social reformers and s- total social change. And within a hundred years, Britain was unrecognizable from the country that it had been a hundred years earlier. Do you know that it's true in the early church, you gave the example of running towards the pandemics. It was true, the first theologian of um, the Holy Spirit, a man called St. Basil, but at the same time as writing on the Holy Spirit, he also wrote on um, tackling poverty. And it's the first time that anyone had ever created in partnership with the local authorities, uh, a centre, a hospice, a hospital, an education centre. It's called the Basiliad. There was something about the combination of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the tackling of social challenge. Do you know, I'll finish with you on this one, uh, in the 10th century... In the 10th century, right, so Charlemagne, Europe had come together briefly in a brief window to uh, fight what was perceived as um, the external threat uh, to its nature, the the Islamic threat. And then it fractured again into just all these fiefdoms. It was the time of oligarchy. Uh, the rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer, they were being exploited by the nobility. Every great noble was trying to produce its own kind of um, status symbol castle. Many of the great castles uh, in Europe were built at this time. And what was happening at the same time is um, the poor were being oppressed, women were being violated, and it was a dangerous, degenerate time. And there is a man called Sir Larry Seedentop, who is a, not a Christian, he's a professor at Oxford University in politics, and he's written this book, uh, which I read, and I was absolutely amazed to read this non-Christian say these words. He said, the social conditions created a challenge to the church as how were they going to respond. And a small church in central France called Cluny, the Abbey at Cluny, decided it was just going to create around it a little place of peace where women were safe, the poor were safe, uh, property was safe. And through that grew the complete renewal, as God blessed it, of the Western world. And this is what Sir Larry Seedentop, he said, he said um, uh, uh, that the church was reimagining uh, uh, what was possible uh, at the same time as it was seeing miracles, uh, reports of miracles they hadn't seen for centuries. So there was spiritual vitality going on. And he says this allied with the creation of new social order on a whole new scale. And I just think that's what, do you know when the Quakers, um, they were called Quakers because they shook in the Holy Spirit. But do you know they renewed the character of business in the, in the 19th century in the UK. Every time the Spirit of God has burst out, it's had an overflow. It's not just for the church it's for jesus's world and uh, what god is doing right now in us we are experiencing renewal we are seeing the sense of the spirit he's making himself known in asbury through toronto even last night the spirit has worked it's for us but it is not just for us because he's calling us to raise up to do something for us that is for the blessing of the world and the renewal of the nation. So I just want to leave you on this encouragement note. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're called to do. I don't know where God's placed you, but I know between us we're all over the place. We are uh, the presence inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit with if we'll step into it and pray into it, look to it, the potential to renew again American, Western, African, Asian, whatever, uh, cultures and civilizations with the presence of Jesus because nothing is impossible for him. And so um, social transformation alongside all the other brilliant areas of the church's work is the most exciting um, part of um, ministry that we could possibly be called to alongside all the others. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you.
Oh, we don't want to keep you, but Tom, would you just pray a blessing on each person? Thank yeah. you for joining us, for listening. Yeah. Um, we believe it's no accident you've been here and God has a call on each one of your lives. So, Tom, would you pray us out as yeah. we head off? Okay, well, just a short, um, I'm going to just pray for God's anointing on you. Simple as that. And you might just like to open um, your hands, your hearts to Jesus. And just maybe for some of you, you come. this is just stirring in you. And God is wanting to say, yeah, I can do more through you than you can imagine. Mm. My work, not your work, but I want to work through you. Lord, we pray that right now you come by your Holy Spirit, that you would um, anoint each person here, and even those who aren't here, uh, Lord, that you'd pour out your anointing to be reformers of society, culture, creation lord for your glory the earth is yours and everything in it and the glory of god will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea that's every part of it lord we pray for that kind of move again in our time we ask lord that there be a grace on the church a beauty on the church lord that actually the light would shine in the darkness and lord we ask that you'd raise up leaders servant leaders loving leaders leads of good um lord that you bless the work of our hands and we ask that we would see again in our time not the end of good society but the renewal and new beginning of something beautiful so bless and just right now for each of you be filled now with the spirit and the anointing of god receive his spirit for what he's called you to uh lord fall upon each person bless them and raise them up for your name's sake for your glory we ask in jesus name amen amen